0: This is rumble this is michael moore well obviously this i'm i'm michael moore i'm not rumble but the podcast is called rumble with michael moore and uh we uh have with us here in our podcast studio sitting atop a movie theater here somewhere in new york city a filmmaker that i've admired for many many years and uh i'm really excited and happy to have him on the on the podcast today my guest uh, here in the podcast studio is none other than the great uh, filmmaker john sales let's just just jump right into this because um you have made um so many great films that were uh, very important to me but um i'm going to start right at the beginning um i mean for people that you, you know if you live out there in topeka and all you have is the shopping mall cinema they are not. They are not too conducive to uh, showing uh, the great films, uh, even the ones um, this year. Uh, if you live in Topeka, I don't know if you've been able uh, to see Parasite or Jojo Rabbit. Maybe you have. Maybe that. Maybe it's made it its way there. Um, uh, but but the truly indie films, uh, the ones that are made without the heavy hand of the studio, um, you don't get to. Uh, see them in, in large swaths of the country. But, uh, but, uh, John, you, um, you were really a pioneer in the late seventies and eighties and in the probably, I would say seven years leading up to me making my first film and, and me, (laughs) I have no film school in me. Um, I, I just liked the movies and I went to a lot of them. Pretty
1: much the same with me. Was that you know, true? So yeah, you I didn't go to film school. You
0: didn't go to film school. No. Okay, so so basically, you and I start out knowing nothing, mm-hmm. and in some ways, knowing a whole hell of a lot because of who maybe we are or what we've lived through or
1: well, seeing you know, as Quentin Tarantino would be happy to tell you, seeing a lot of movies is a kind of if film you're paying school. attention, it's yeah. a film school. Yeah. And then there's the other part of it, which is if you didn't film, go to film school, you had all that time to be living and not hanging around with film school students and seeing what goes on in the world, which is worth something
0: as well. Right. So, um, so John, you have made a Brother from Another Planet, Mate One, Eight Men Out, mm-hmm. uh, Return of the Secaucus Seven, uh, Lone Star, Passion Fish. I mean, I, the, I mean, um, I think I would be in your top 1% in terms of um, I could claim to maybe have seen all but one of your films.
1: Yeah, there's 18 now, so it's getting harder to
0: have yeah. seen them all. Yeah, I could. I think I could name 16 to 17 of them right That's now. That's pretty and good. I, and I know where I saw them. Uh-huh. You know, when, when, yeah. when, you, when a film has that kind of impact on yeah. you. Okay, so it's 1979, 1979, 1980. I'm living in Flint, Michigan. i I founded an alternative newspaper, and I was mm-hmm. doing that every month, every every couple of weeks. Uh, uh, it was kind of like this podcast. I it was supposed to be a monthly paper, uh, but then it was started doing it every other week. Mm-hmm. Sometimes I do it every week. It, you know, I'm, the joke I'm making to the people who have been listening to the first six weeks of this podcast is that we announced that this was a weekly podcast, and I don't think we've done less than four a week. Uh huh. There's a lot to talk about. There's a lot going on. I just, I'm yeah. sorry. My apologies to everybody who thought they were just subscribing to a, a free weekly um, uh, podcast. It's so free, but um, we come to you uh, when we need to. So, anyways, I really wanted to, to have you on one of my early podcasts here because you are an early mentor of mine. Even though you did not sign up for that job, mm-hmm. I, um, I had a, I had I had like an old Chevy Impala uh, that my parents let me use, and um, and so I would drive to Ann Arbor to mm-hmm. see the indie films, foreign films, documentaries. And it is there where I first saw, and I believe that you were present for, to introduce the film mm-hmm. in Ann Arbor, uh, Return of the Co- Secaucus Seven. Now, I had no idea what that title meant. I'd never heard of the word Secaucus. I didn't <laughs> know it was a, <laughs> a city in New Jersey. Yeah. And, um, and, I was I was so blown away by it. And this would be the first of now between 19. That, I think it came out in 79, but...
1: Uh, I, it, it actually came out yeah. um, in late 79. It yeah. didn't work in New York for a couple of weeks. And mm. they redid the poster mm. and rethought the theaters it was going to play in. Mm. And then it came out in 80 again.
0: Yeah. Okay. So then sometime in 80, that's when yeah. I, I saw it in Ann Arbor. So I started making Roger and Me my first film in... Uh, 1987 Mm -hmm. so this yeah so this would be about seven years before and it it was one of these seminal films where when you leave the theater kind of exhilarated by a a, uh, more authentic form of storytelling and your film of course was not a documentary Mm -hmm. this is this is a a fiction film that had humor and drama and everything else Mm -hmm. involved that that it's one of the first times i got to thinking she's you know i wonder if i could do this Mm mm-hmm yeah. You know,
1: it's it interesting because I had those moments and they were uh, first, uh, I saw John Cassavetes movie. Mm. Um, Which one When I was remember? in college. I, I think I saw, the first one that I saw was um, Minnie and Moskowitz, but mm. then I saw some of the other
0: ones. Faces. And, uh,
1: and then yeah. I saw uh, Melvin Peebles' Sweet, Sweet sweetback's badass song,
0: right, on
1: Peachtree Street in Atlanta, where it ran for about a year. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I was down there doing day labor, and and uh, just one day I said, I'm not going to go work for a dollar an hour. (laughs) I'm going to go to the movies, you know. Right. And uh, it was a wonderful audience participation movie, and clearly, you know, kind of guerrilla filmmaking, but i hadn't seen this movie before and neither mm-hmm. had the audience which is why many of them were back for the yes, third time right they were seeing themselves on this and screen. that's how i
0: felt when i saw return of the sakaka seven i'd never seen a film like this and and it was so natural and wonderful and um i just and, and, and listen i went to i went to three or four films a week i went to uh, the ones in the in the uh you know um cinemas right and uh but then i get in the car and go down to ann arbor they had like seven film societies Mm -hmm. or i go to the detroit film theater at the detroit institute of Mm -hmm. arts that that was also an hour away from where i was living um you know occasionally other other places sometimes we drive to toronto actually Uh to see a good film or chicago uh about 250 miles from each city so um but i just love the movies and and so your film and hearing you speak really kind of you know the, kind of the light bulb went off and mm-hmm. and we should before i've kind of skipped what happened before return of the Caucus 7 mm-hmm. with you i mean first of all you've been you've been nominated i think for at least two oscars am i mm-hmm. uh, correct in that mm-hmm. uh for 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 uh best screenplay, for screenplay. Yeah. so I, i'm sure it was passion fish and i'm guessing Lone star Ma- Ma- oh, lone star oh yeah. wow yeah. and uh, but before that you're a dude from schenectady mm-hmm. okay so if you don't if people don't know where that is it's the it's it's up. Let's just say Schenectady. It's not Albany.
1: No, no. But you know, go go up the Hudson. You know, take a left at the Mohawk River, and there's Schenectady. And there's Schenectady. And it's where General Electric used to be. So, Correct. and right now it's kind of, in some ways, a mini Detroit, in which that the big industry left, and yeah. it's got a lot of empty buildings, and it's trying to readjust.
0: But it was an industrial town when you yeah. grew up, factory yeah. town, whatever. Um, I think your parents were teachers or mm. your mom was a teacher and your dad was a principal or yeah, something he like that. Yeah, eventually
1: became a principal. But
0: yeah, he but he would teacher. start out. They both yeah. so start, so sort of started out as teachers. Yeah. So essentially, um, even though your parents are educated in that sense, uh, they are the lowest paid educated yeah. <laughs> <laughs> people to, that yeah. makes them part of the working class. Yeah. Um, so you grew up this way. Uh, you go off to college. Did you, you finish? Uh,
1: yeah, I did. I, I, I was, you know... I, I finished in four years, which was pretty good of me. Mm. Um, and time. some of it was this yeah. during the Vietnam War. And sure. and I had already worked in hospitals and factories. And I it just looked like four years where I don't have to, war or no war, be in the military. Right. And four years where I, I don't have to go back and work in a factory or a hospital. And that it was a
0: time day. where you could get a college exemption. Yeah. You didn't yeah. have to. Yeah. Worry about the draft.
1: And so I, I, and I was a, um, a psychology major. Hmm. We used to joke that it was, you were either pre-med or pre-patient. I was pre-patient, you know, I (laughs) wasn't that serious about it, but it it was something that I could maintain a C minus average in and stay in, in college. And there was not a drama major there. There wasn't any film courses there. One English teacher taught Film. Any any like one one semester, he just showed all of Bergman's movies, including the first three or four, which wow. aren't very good. Wow! Where he's figuring it out. You yeah. Know, he was a theater director um, before that, and so. But I I just as as you did, I found movies. I would drive in, you know, from Western Massachusetts, where I was going to college, into Boston to see movies. Right. Right. Um. In in Albany, there was a there was a basement in the library. Um, where they showed kind of like interesting old movies. And then there was a a very hip Jesuit at one of the um, uh, religious uh, Catholic um, teaching colleges with a you know the crucifix on the wall and the projector in the room, who was showing like you know Bergman movies and experimental movies and stuff. Like I'm sure he didn't stay a Jesuit. I mean, I imagine right, married right. to some hip nun right. uh, by the end of the, the '60s. But um, that's where you'd go to seek out movies that weren't mainstream
0: movies. Sure. So then, um, and and then during this time, before, during, after college, after um, you also you didn't go right into the workaday. Uh, world in the sense of you're a college graduate, you can get a better job or whatever. Mm-hmm. It seems that what I remember you saying, or sometime when I met you years ago, um, that you did a whole bunch of things from driving truck to just sort you of. No,
1: I was never a truck driver. I, 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 I mostly I went back to working in hospitals and in extended care facilities. Same thing. I was the Paul, I was the Paul Bunyan of orderlies. I was really so that's probably better should, at that than I'll enjoy ever be doing that. I didn't enjoy it, but I was good at it. Um, yeah. I wasn't squeamish, I had a lot of patients and I was strong enough to move the patients around and restrain them when that was necessary right. without hurting them. Right. Um, I worked in a, in a sausage factory, so I was in the meat packers union. That was a big deal, cause this is back when um, minimum wage was a dollar an hour. And in the hospitals, I would get a dollar and 10 cents if I would work the midnight shift. Where mm. people died, <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> I figure if you have to deal with that, right. people they pay you more. But you're um, writing during this time too. I'm writing during this time, and and so right at the end of my meatpacking career, I got a, um, a short story accepted at Atlantic Monthly uh, magazine, and um, they said, "Well, it's seventy pages long. This is way too long. Um, why don't you make it into more short stories or make it into a novel?" And if you make it into a novel, you could use a plot. And I said, great. And so <laughs> I, I, I was actually put on unemployment and that was my um, first grant to the arts. And so for about 18 months, I could sit and just write. And I finished the novel and got it published. You know? mm-hmm. And so I, I had a whole kind of early career as a novelist. Mm. Yeah, I, I got nominated for a uh, National Book Award for my second novel and stuff like that. And this is before your first
0: film. Before,
1: yeah. yeah. And, and so I had, but I had this idea in the back of my head. I had acted a little bit in college and directed a little bit in college. I was in a, a theater company up in. Uh, Massachusetts with David Strathairn and Gordon Clapp and a couple other people who've become, you know, well-known actors. Uh, Gina Davis, mm-hmm. I think I, I directed her in one of her first mm-hmm. jobs. Mm-hmm. Um, and so there was back in my head of of maybe making movies. I didn't know anybody in the movie industry as I'm sure you didn't, you Nobody, know. Yeah.
0: I, I, Nobody yeah. was gonna open the door for us. No,
1: no, and so, you know, and there weren't, a million books about making it, and there certainly right. wasn't a, a web to you know watch videos about how to make a movie, so it was kind of uh, well, how much does the equipment cost to rent, and right. where do you go do that? And you know, so I educated myself as much as possible. So, Caucus 7 really came out of working in theater, and Jeffrey Nelson, who was the, the producer at the theater that we worked at, who was a a guy I'd gone to college with just said, We know so many good actors and you're starting to write screenplays. You know, I'd gotten a screenplay job working for Roger Corman. Why don't we make a movie? Mm. And I had a whopping thirty thousand dollars in one place at one time, which I figured, when is this gonna happen ever
0: again? Because of your work on the Roger Corman. Yeah. uh, I had written
1: two two or three movies for Roger and Which ones did you write? I wrote Piranha You wrote Piranha. Yeah. Wow. Um, The original Piranha. The original Piranha. Yeah. And I wrote um, (laughs) a movie called um, The Lady in Red, and then a movie called Battle Beyond the Stars, which is kind of seven samurai in space. Mm -hmm. And from those, and Roger was in the, uh, he was a signatory to the Writers Guild at that time. He later stopped being one. So um, I got $10,000 a movie, which was minimum back then. And so I had that much money, and I, I... basically did what I, I think is a good idea for starting out filmmakers, if you have any money, which is, what can I make well for the amount of money that I have in my pocket? Mm-hmm. And I knew these actors who were all turning 30. Mm-hmm. And uh, I, had, I had seen a couple, in, there was a movie called For Jonas Who will be 25 in the year, year 2000, 2000. Yeah, Switzerland. Uh, in, in 1975. Mm-hmm. And uh, I had seen Nashville. Mm. And I said, well, I'm not gonna be able to move the camera much. So I, if if I have a lot of people, I'll have a reason to cross cut, I'll have a reason to cut Yeah, a, a lot of characters like in Nashville. And uh, so I said, well, it's gonna be about a group of people turning 30. Mm-hmm. And a lot of the actors I knew weren't in the Actors Guild yet, but they were skilled. You know, they'd done a lot of theater. They'd never been on on screen. Um, and also I, I'd read a couple things like in Time Magazine saying, oh, all those 60s people, they're, they're all becoming stockbrokers. And that just wasn't true of the people I knew. Right? Almost all of the, the men that I knew, they were downwardly mobile. They were taking jobs that were gonna pay them less than their fathers had made mm-hmm. in order to do something that they thought, you know, be a teacher or be, you know, one of them was a counselor at a, you know, uh, a halfway house for alcoholics, you know. Um, they were doing those kind of jobs. Right. So, um yeah. and the women were upwardly mobile and that they weren't just waiting to get married they were they wanted to do jobs and some of them were working in little city halls in Boston and a bunch of them had been in Vista not mm-hmm. not not the SDS but in Vista yeah yeah and uh so that it was a kind of interesting activist thing
0: um this that, was sort of a domestic Peace Corps yeah is that a good way to put yeah. it yeah
1: uh, and 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 what they you know the They would kind of go and a lot of
0: meaning being in this country, not being not not being a domestic.
1: Yeah, and they went to you know kind of cities with some problems, and there were a lot of those. Yeah, and what they often ran into is as they tried to empower people, the local politicians got nervous. Mm -hmm. You know, so (laughs) they ran into this kind of we're we're getting killed from two angles here. There's just the economics, which is tough on these people, but then. Even their politicians are nervous about us because we're helping them and not going through those politicians.
0: Right. So your friends and ultimately the characters in Return of the Secaucus Seven. Uh, it this is set in the late seventies, so it's four or five years after the end of the Vietnam mm-hmm. War, and um, and right there was this. You know, the the media just loves <laughs> trying to show how especially people who are on the left uh, mm-hmm. are, will eventually sell out mm-hmm. once the, we wave the dollar bill in front of their nose. Right. And, and so this film is about a group of friends who were activists during the Vietnam War. The war is over. Um, they're getting ready to, or are turning 30. Mm-hmm. And, um, uh, and if, if this is sounding like another film, you under, understand that Secaucus 7 yeah. is the, um, the forerunner uh, to uh, the Big Chill, the Big Chill, yeah. yeah. Um, uh, but this is this is the sort of, this is the, the, I don't know what to call this. The Godfather, the 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 oh, I guess they call it the OG now.
1: Uh, uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know what? What's interesting is is although they have the same format because mm-hmm. it's it's a kind of reunion weekend with these yeah. people who knew each other in college coming back together. Um, it's very clear. I mean, the Big Chill is called the Big Chill for a reason. Right. Um, it's about a group of people who are realizing that maybe they they've lost their ideals or maybe never had them in the first place. Mm. Return of the Sakka 7 is about people who the world hasn't turned out the way that they wanted it to, but they're trying to hold on to those ideals.
0: They're so, still themselves. So they, yes. you know,
1: they're they're similar groups of people but they're kind of right. moving in in different directions. Right. It's why I never felt like, you know, it's you know, you have an Indian and a horse in a movie and somebody stole your idea because they have an Indian and a horse right. and a cowboy in it. You know, it's it's,
0: it's just a genre. Right. No. I, in fact, whenever I see something taken from something I've done, I I get really kind of excited. Yeah. Because somebody was it, paying attention. Yes, yeah. and and they're and they're carrying on this storyline, this idea. Mm-hmm. It's 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 quite an honor. I always take. I never take it as like, hey, wait a minute. Yeah. <laughs> You ripped me off. Yeah. <laughs> no, I think it, the idea of art should be a constant in motion.
1: Yeah, re-examination thing. of it, Yeah. You know. And, yes. I, and I, I,
0: you know, I've
1: met Larry Kazan a couple of times and we never really talked about this, but I imagine he just said, you know, I could use that format for the people that I knew. Yeah. You know, and, and, and there's been dozens of other TV shows and movies with that same kind of format of let's bring these people back together and,
0: yeah. and see what's happening. When you met him. Larry Kazan, you couldn't, you just didn't want to go there you know what
1: filmmakers usually do is they say where do you get your money (laughs) do you have a phone number for me and have you worked with this guy or that guy or this actor or this actress
0: see i couldn't help it david i was at the um at sundance many many years ago and David Mamet uh, uh, ran into me he and said, "Hey, let's get lunch." And I'm like, the whole time I'm thinking. So I made a, a small, an indie film called Canadian Bacon, mm-hmm. where the American president is in some kind of hot water, and needs a distraction, right. and and decides to convince the country that Canada has become a threat, right? And we need to think about starting a war with, with mm-hmm. Canada.
1: The Falklands strategy. Yes, yeah.
0: and so uh, so I couldn't help myself during the lunch. I just said, to him, "Okay, you've got to tell me." wag the dog is essentially your version mm-hmm. of canadian bacon mm-hmm. um same thematic thing i just curious what do because and, and i'm not upset i'm like mm-hmm. i just i want to hear david mammoth say right yeah <laughs> where he got yeah. <laughs> yes i'm a genius and one of my genius ideas uh some of it came um from you yeah. and and so and he did he did he caught cop, yeah. he copped to it and he was very uh generous uh, uh, uh to me in uh, acknowledging uh, mm-hmm. Uh, that sort of thing. Yeah, you
1: know, I, I, there was a there was a screenwriter named Steve Tessich who died fairly young. Um, uh, he he wrote that uh, movie where all the, the you know all the kids are bicyclers and their their dads work in the quarry and you uh, know breaking away breaking away yeah yeah, yeah. nice screenwriter um, yeah and uh, I was on a panel with him once and he said you know when I like a movie it's because there's somebody I want to hang with. You know, mm-hmm. and, and that's not true of all my movies, but I always feel like there should be a way in. And what right. was interesting with Sakaka Soca- Seven is four or five different people came to me and said, I'm so glad you had such and such a character because that gave me a way into the film. Um, even the guy who's kind of nerdy, there were people who said, well, yeah, I could see hanging out with those people because you had that character and I could feel like, and they were nice to him. And And what was interesting is each of them chose a different character. And so one of the things that I think about when I, and, and a lot of my movies are ensemble movies, there's a lot of characters, mm-hmm. um, is what's the way in? I'm not the only audience for this. I am an audience for this. But what's the way in for anybody? Right. And, and do you want to hang with these people? Do you want right. to find out what happens to them next? And, and yeah, kind of almost always something is going to happen that's going to say, oh, that's, that's messed up. You know, with our government or with our our culture or, or whatever. But the characters are usually so 7 seven's one of the few where the people actually have political consciousness and talk about that stuff, right. And a lot of the other ones, they're just living their lives. Right. Um, but the audience can see, oh my God, this is a train wreck waiting to happen. and right. These people should wake
0: up. but but at the at the core of your stories that you're telling, whether it's Lone Star, um silver, um Silver City, Silver City, um uh, sunshine state political corruption um uh, capitalism mm-hmm. uh, are very much at play in these films mm-hmm. whether it's whether it's about the coal miners in Matewan, um in sunshine state it's about real estate uh, developers mm-hmm. there's a story going on about people's lives mm-hmm. it's it's not it's not two hours of real estate developers are awful yeah. <laughs> it's but it is the backdrop Mm-hmm. um that exists in a way that I mean Hal Ashby did this in uh, the film Shampoo so wonderfully the whole film with Warren Beatty mm-hmm. and Goldie Hawn uh Lee Grant takes place um literally over 24 hours right. the day that Nixon is elected right. in 1968 and throughout the film you hear and see the whole campaign going on in the yeah. news the TVs are on nobody in the, no character in the film is practically saying a word right about the evil (laughs) that's about to happen on this day yeah and and you do this you do this where where that that thread is there Mm -hmm. you set the table we feel the room in in that sense Mm -hmm. um and those are in these are i'm i'm quoting more of your serious films but you also have brother from another planet Mm -hmm. which deals with race Mm -hmm. Uh, uh liana which i think was your Second, second film, film yeah. okay so this is 1982 3 i think it was, 82 yeah. so here's here's a film about the, the the essence of the story is a college student falls in love with her professor who is a woman mm-hmm. so you have a, a film dealing with um gay and lesbian issues mm-hmm. but it's not an issue film and mm-hmm. it's 1983 and nobody is making this kind of film then.
1: No, no, I, the um, uh, personal best came out the same year. And it's funny um, uh, because uh, I was in Tokyo, I was writing a movie for John Frankenheimer and uh, Scott Glenn was in it. And Scott Glenn came down to my hotel room and I was doing some rewrites in Tokyo for Frankenheimer. And, and Scott, uh, you know, uh, so well I just got here for another movie. And, I had just told him the whole plot of Leanna, which was about to open. And I said, so what's, uh, what's personal best out? You know, and he says, uh, it's about track and field. <laughs> <laughs> and he played the coach and, and kind of to his character, that's what it's about, the hell with these girls and their love affairs and all this kind of stuff. Right. But yeah, it, it was unusual at that time. But actually it, it came out more, uh, it's a woman who has kids, she's married, she has kids Um, and it came not so much out of sexual identity politics, but just knowing a lot of people who were breaking up, some of them married, some of them just in relationships. And the big difference was not whether they were married or, or just living together. It was whether they had kids or not. Mm. And that break goodbye, have a nice life in one case, or, we're going to court and fighting over the kid or we're fighting over the kid, but not in court. Mm -hmm. And and, you know, this is the rest of your life or until that kid leaves home. Um, And then this other phenomenon of woman I had known who had married right out of high school, you know, high school people I knew or right out of college and then gotten divorced five, five to 10 years later. And then all of a sudden they're on the relationship and job market for the first time in their lives in some cases. You know, Mm. and what am I doing? I'm 35 and I'm going to a job interview and I've never done this before. And I'm Mm. going to bars and trying to meet people. This is just crazy. And I've got
0: two kids. Where'd the idea come from then to make it about a couple of the same gender being in in love or attracted to each other? At that time,
1: there was a wrinkle that I got interested in. Um, At that time, there were a lot of cases where a woman who um, had been married, had divorced, got custody you know uh, not sole custody but but mm-hmm. you know principal custody of the kids and the fathers would have visitation rights then took up with a woman and started living with another woman and the husbands brought him back into court and at that time judges would say well this is immoral this is a terrible you know model for your children and they would give the kids back to the to the father and the mm-hmm. woman's w- would end up with very limited visitation rights. Mm. And I wanted a situation where this woman who had you know, just been a housewife basically, uh, although in an academic town, which makes things somewhat different, because her fa- her husband's a, a professor. Uh, she's the one on the outside looking in. Mm. Cause that was fairly rare in those days. And mm. one of the few situations where mothers didn't just automatically get mm. custody mm. was this situation where all of a sudden they decided they were gay. And, and you know, the, the, legal profession wasn't having it in those days the judge was not going to allow the
0: children to be in a gay home yeah exactly so therefore things that some
1: things have changed there are (laughs) are some things are a little bit better
0: yes um but so so here let me ask you this most of your films do not seem to be made by uh paramount 20th century fox warner brothers Mm -hmm. um uh you have had those, uh, yeah, films. I,
1: re, really. Uh, Baby, it's you, and uh, Eight Men Out are the two, mm-hmm. two, and then and then uh, Eight Men uh, Out. Is Sony the did uh, Chicago Limbo. Black Sox. Yeah, uh, Sony did Limbo. Mm-hmm. The, those three out of the eighteen are the only real studio films,
0: right? Uh, so, why have you chosen to go through most of your filmmaking career that route? Uh, because to to us, the other you mm-hmm. know independent filmmakers, you're a hero because you have this canon of film that got made and got made well Mm -hmm. with little or nothing in terms of the money or backing of the studio system
1: yeah well some of it's just luck um you know that the timing of when we started making movies was good um home video which had not been really a factor at all came right after my second or third film and there was a little five to six year period when home video companies were making mo- money with their their you know taking it out of their pocket and yep. giving it to filmmakers right. and then going and looking for a theatrical distributor, right? Um, so we got a little wind from that, and you know for three million dollars we could make a pretty good movie.
0: But I had I have had the sense that you've done this by choice, not. Uh... Um, it, it, it's a kind of—I
1: don't know if I would call it choice. It's kind of a, um, a mutual understanding, which is that the you know the studios pretty much understand most of what I make, uh, and and some of them really like the movies. You know, I talked to exactly—I love that movie. We couldn't have done anything with it, but I love that movie. They, they understand they're not set up to distribute a movie like that. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just not broad enough. It's it's not you know there's nothing they can exploit they can't imagine the poster or the trailer that they would right. try to you know squeeze it into a mall with um, and then I understand that I really don't want to just be a director for hire who who has to make the kind of you know uh, compromises in casting in final cut in. You know, I know people who start out, you know, kind of like bills through Congress. And by the time they come out the other end, they don't really resemble right. what was the original intention. Um, it's a year of your life, one way or the other, you know, and I don't want to spend a year and feel like I got to tell my friends, well, you know, don't really go see that movie. Right, or, right. Or I wish I could have taken my name off that movie. Right. I've been very lucky to be able to make 18 Veils. Lately, things have slowed down quite a bit. I haven't been able to get... Uh, other people's money opm for about the last 12 years or so have you
0: had screenplays that you've written oh yeah uh, I've, ready, I've, to, ready to film like
1: most most filmmakers or and especially screenwriters i've got five or six things ready to go you know just have mm-hmm. money
0: yeah um because you the cast if you look at the cast of any of your films it seems like all kinds of actors good actors great oh, yeah. actors want to work with you from
1: yeah yeah uh, and some Woodward of them before they go act the Chris Cooper yeah, and Chris David Cooper. Strathairn weren't known yes. yet. Uh, Angela Bassett wasn't very. Joe right. Morton wasn't very well known
0: yet. Uh, no, no. The first time I saw Joe Morton was in Brother from Another yeah, Planet. Yeah. And wonderful actors.
1: I've been really blessed yeah. with that. And the biggest, you know, still the biggest compliment I get is that you know my my last movie, uh, Edward James Olmos was the lead. Is I get these kind of world class actors to say, yes, I'll do four weeks with you for scale.
0: Hmm. Right, it's
1: a good part looks like right. a good movie you know i'll make time in my so why
0: can't it. the the screenplays you have sitting on your desk why what has happened to the movies where they can't get made? because clearly you can you can bring in a cast to these films you know so. I,
1: I think the economics change you know um and also you know i'm older than every producer i talk to now you know and, and that's that's a that's a factor i mean uh one of the reasons that there there aren't as many female directors as there should be is is generally the people who who make the dollars and cents green light decisions. They're just not interested. Mm-hmm. You know, they're not interested in those stories. They're not That's interested right. in those women. Right. You know, it's it's you know, you know, they don't want to hang out with them. You know, and go down a river with them or whatever they do. You know. Right. So you know. So age is a factor, um, but but basically I think they just read them and, and they say, I, I don't, if we could make on this money, it would be an awful lot of work, <laughs> you know, if, <laughs> and, and we're not sure we could make money on this, mm-hmm. you know. It, it's not easier for, for a whole lot of filmmakers. You know, I'm not the only one.
0: No, I understand. Believe me, this is a big discussion these days amongst people who make movies. Mm-hmm. Uh, but of the say there's five or six screenplays sitting on your desk, there's got to be one. That would make them money.
1: Well, it might, but but they don't think so. And so, what, do, what so, do you think? Oh, I think you know. I think if the thing is, you know, the last two or three movies I've made, I've also had to self distribute. I haven't even been able to get a distributor. Mm. Um, so for Amigo, which is our our movie, you know, set during the Philippine American War, with some very well known actors in it, we couldn't get a distributor. For Gopher Sisters, which is the one that Edward James almost and and uh, Lisa Gay Hamilton and some wonderful other actors are in. We couldn't get a distributor. And so you only get so far if you've only got $100,000 left to distribute the movie. Um, And then, you know, in Hollywood, they, they say, well, let's do the numbers. And so if they look at your numbers and how many people went to see your last movie and how much money it made, the numbers aren't impressive.
0: Um, and remember, there's a,
1: there's a lot of that kind of thinking
0: in the in the movie business. Yeah, this is a part I don't get because we are fortunate to live in a large country of 330 yeah. million people. Yeah, John, that means only one million need to like John Sayles' films. The yeah. other 329 million can go. Ah, yeah, yeah. Honey, let's go see the Philippine American War movie tonight. Yeah. Uh, no, I don't think so. Fine. Okay. Yeah. But if one million came on opening weekend where the average ticket mm-hmm. price is 10 to 12 dollars, mm-hmm. suddenly you have an opening weekend of 10 to 12 yeah. million you know, dollars. You know so I, you got you, I mean it begs it really begs the question no. to, to, to say you're telling me that there are not one million of the 330 million that wouldn't go see this film by John Sales mm-hmm. with these actors. With this great storyline that you're not going to get in any other we movie, we make
1: that argument all the time. So it doesn't far work. It hasn't worked. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, so actually, you know, uh, uh, I was down in Mexico a week ago, and I, I I write fast, so I wrote a screenplay that I can make in three weeks. <laughs> so mm. I think I think once again, if I make another movie, it's going to be self finance.
0: Self finance, but you got to shoot it in eighteen days. Twelve. Twelve. <laughs> <Yeah>. Twelve days. <laughs> yeah. Wow. Uh, well, it's, and it's doable. But you're also the editor.
1: You're your own editor. Yeah, yeah. That helps. And and when yeah. you're you're the writer, the director, and the editor, you mm-hmm. do an awful lot of editing in the screenwriting, and you do an awful lot of editing mm-hmm. as your director. While oh, you're filming it. That's you correct. You know, you just, uh, I often, you know, an actor will be saying, well, you're moving the camera. Wait, wait, I only did three takes, and I, I blew a line every take, and I say, you blew a different line every take, and we've got three angles of this thing, and I've got it. Right. I've already cut it in my head and it's wonderful, trust me. Right, And the nice thing is for the actors, um, their deal is just with me. So if they mm. trust me, they're okay. So yeah. it's not a deal with me, studio people who may change during the making of the movie right. in a focus group in Milwaukee. Right, um, And so where's the rest of me when I see the movie is, is I'm gonna use their best stuff. You know, and, and, and if they trust me, pretty much i'm going to take care of them
0: so when you say self-financed you're going to have to self-finance your next film yeah what what is, I, i'm assuming you're not loaded
1: yeah um, I, I think i can get a half a million
0: dollars together you can um, well between people you know um yeah mortgaging for the third time you're out yeah i
1: don't mortgage <laughs> but you know john cassavetes did a lot of mortgaging i guess yeah. i i talked to a couple of his kids once and they said we well, always hated it when he made movies because. Yeah, we couldn't sleep in our rooms because all the coats and equipment were in there, and we had to make peanut butter sandwiches for everybody. You know,
0: you know, if you lived in France or uh, or Italy um, or Canada, you'd be considered a national treasure for the work you've done, Mm -hmm. and and the the nation would decide that we need to support artists like Mm -hmm. this, and there would be financing.
1: Available. yeah yeah I, I mean it's interesting some of them uh, i think germany for a long time they may still have this is um once you made a couple movies they based how you know there was just a pot of money and if 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 you made 15 percent of the revenue last year you could get 15 percent of the pot this year for your next film right if you made three percent you could you know and so there were filmmakers who started out and every movie was a little smaller, you know, because they got less popular or whatever,
0: but they could still make something. They could still make their movies. Yeah. Yeah. So So what's your level of frustration with this? Um,
1: you know, I'm very lucky. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm on this book tour for Yellow Earth, this new novel that I've written. And uh, my my last two novels um, have been written during Writers Guild of America strikes. So I can't work for somebody else. Um, and, and we have a good long strike. Um, This one is only about 450 pages. The one before um, A Moment in the Sun was over a 1,000 pages, and that was a long strike. Mm -hmm. Um, Not that I love having strikes, but you know, it's like, okay, well, I've got something else I can do and I can tell this
0: story. Right, and by the way, and that was a great book, and I just got this uh, Mm -hmm. last night, your new book, Yellow Earth, and um, you these novels, I could already tell from this one, you write in epic, Uh, scope. uh, Yeah. I mean, Um, it's it's not a 12 day movie.
1: No, no. It's people say, so is is this going to be a movie? And I say, well, yeah, if, if some um, oil and gas company wants to let me (laughs) make them look bad and watch them drill and frack up in the, you know, the high plains. Sure. Uh, But yeah, I, 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 I tend to in the books actually be even more mosaic than in the films and have even more characters mm-hmm. and more points of view. Mm-hmm. And so it does tend to spread. Yeah. Just uh,
0: explain the, the, the plot of this current book you alluded yeah, to it, it, there, it, with the it, oil and the, gas company. Uh, Yellow
1: earth is, is set during the um the kind of uh Bakken shale oil boom and bust up mostly in North Dakota, up into Canada a little bit that happened from you know, 2007, let's say to 2012, mm-hmm. and the bust wasn't anything terrible. It was just that um, fracking was so successful, and that 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 gas and oil, you know, resource was so successful, at least at putting more, you know, uh, oil on the market, um, that the price went down. Mm-hmm. So so it was. You know, they were they were drilling like crazy back when it was four dollars a gallon at the pump as it started to, to dip down because of their success, down below 380, 375, mm-hmm. it doesn't make an
0: economic sense anymore. Right, um, And but the, but the plot of this book is... Is um, the
1: invasion of a city that um, was a city of 15,000 people losing its young people, not much new industry, and all of a sudden there's this discovery, and in six months there's 45,000 people. Mm. And most of those 30,000 who just showed up are men without women and they're camp followers. Mm-hmm. And what happens to a place like that? It's like the Yukon Gold Rush. You know, um, and there's a lot of money to be made for certain people. Uh, it affects the people who are already there. It affects the people who come and go. Um, and uh, everybody's wages go up except for cops and teachers and you know public employees and they're just screwed. Because cost of living goes up as well and and you know your rental goes up, and you and know, every- you know, they're doing
0: the, they're doing the job of three people now, each of them because the classrooms are larger yeah uh there's more people so the cops
1: more- don't get another deputy necessarily, right. and they've already got a huge county to cover um about half of the book takes place on the neighboring Indian Reservation, which also has some oil and gas on it. And it's, mm. it's based on a reservation that was kind of one north of Standing Rock. So before the pipeline crisis, yeah. there, was this, there was this, we've got oil under us and what do we do
0: about and it? And Yellow crisis? Earth refers to-
1: It's the name of the town. It's the name mm-hmm. of this, this small city. Yeah. Um, and that has gone through that area of the country has had four booms and busts. The first one being beaver pelts, and then the buffalo, mm-hmm. and then cattle, mm-hmm. and then there were these bonanza farms. If, if you ever see Days of Heaven, those—that mm-hmm. was a bonanza farm where all these immigrants came and worked on it. And those eventually were not economically viable either. And then it left this kind of high plains with huge, huge, you know, properties and ranches, but still not a whole lot of profit in them mm-hmm. until something like this you know, mineral find shows up.
0: Well, I'm really excited to be able to, uh, to read this book because I could tell just starting it that I, um, you've written another book that if it were, were a film, you'd need a $50, mil,
1: $50 million exactly. budget. Or a mini series,
0: yeah. W- would you be okay with that though? If somebody uh, bought your book from you, even though you wrote mm-hmm. the book, and they made it into a movie. Would you give that up really? Would it's your because it is your story? Nobody and- has
1: made anything of any of my books yet. and 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 some of, not too many people have asked. they usually look at it and they say, well, this is what, we're not interested in this subject or this would be too much money or whatever. Um, it, it would be tough. I, I I tend to say, well, I'd like to have at least some you know finger left in it so it doesn't go in a totally different direction. Uh, my friend, Elliot Azinoff, who wrote the book of eight men out and was a blacklisted Hollywood writer for a while, uh, right after the Cuban revolution, he was brought down to, to help write a movie about the Cuban revolution. Um, and Fidel came to the set one day and handed out cigars and everything like that. And it was being financed by, I think it was the Pardigas family. And uh, so he wrote on this. And they shot some footage and everything like that. And then they said, well, you're the screenwriter. We don't need you anymore. We're shooting. And he went home. And then you know, about six months later, he saw this film, and it was totally anti-Castro. And what had happened mm. is the cigar magnate had gotten the last of his family out and the footage and cut it into a totally opposed to what it started out mm. movie. Wow. And that can happen with a project. And so- right. Yeah, you know, it's it's a little like renting your kids out.
0: Yeah, you'd yeah. rather keep the story in your hands. Yeah, yeah, and someone give you fifty million dollars. Exactly. To make. <laughs> yeah,
1: yeah, and and as I said, uh, you know, many of my novels would make um, good yes. mini series. Very few would make a good single movie.
0: Right, right. Um, it, it. So where does the you and I have crossed paths uh, a few times mm-hmm. uh, over the years, and. Um, the and I remember one of those times was we were at the Sundance Film Festival mm-hmm. and it was, uh, what was the year of the first Iraq War the Bush the first yeah I forget uh, the year remember was remember, it was remember the we were one, there yeah. It and, was
1: right when it was just about to be voted on or something yes like
0: that. yes and so a few of us uh, had an idea of why don't we Pam Yates I think
1: was Pam Yates there. was yeah. one of
0: them and um. um and she and and I and a few others and you, why don't we um, um, ask the attendees here Mm -hmm. at the festival, at the, I think it was maybe at the awards ceremony, just Mm to take a voice vote uh, to show our opposition to Mm -hmm. invading another country. And and I I believe you were the master of ceremonies, Mm -hmm. my mind is, uh, Mm -hmm. (laughs) and so we were all convinced (laughs) that these filmmakers and the others attending Sundance would do a voice vote against the, uh, the war I mean, in Iraq. I, I wasn't
1: convinced. I, I figured, look, this is a bunch of white people in Parkas and they're here to, to meet Cameron Diaz or whatever they're here to right. do. Okay. And <laughs> that some of them may be into it, but to get a joint resolution from yeah. that point bunch of people yeah yeah but i thought it would be an interesting
0: thing just to see what the reaction was now Mm -hmm. i remember i remember you telling us this this isn't gonna Mm -hmm. go well and i remember us we were so naive and thinking oh no no people will be against this Mm -hmm. war (laughs) and so i remember you standing there and um you started to say we just thought we would just take a Mm -hmm. and you people started booing Mm -hmm. and then you said Okay, maybe we should some or somebody something. We should vote on whether we should vote. Yeah, a vote to 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 see if we have a vote. And people didn't want to have a vote. People didn't want to have yeah. a vote. They didn't yeah. even want to vote on this. And I felt so bad for you because we, if I, Pam and I and the others, it felt like, oh, poor John is up there. Yeah, but it, dying a million deaths. It, if I had
1: wanted to be an MC, it, it would have been tough on me. If I had wanted to be Bob Barker, <laughs> no, yeah, that right. was not what I wanted to be. Yeah. No, and it was actually a pretty interesting bunch of people who. Who won awards and stuff that that year? So you know, but it's not my favorite. Yeah, they asked me at the last minute if I would be the MC, and it's not my favorite thing to do anyway. But right, so I think it it, you know it it is an interesting thing is is assuming that people are are even close to being on the same page as you are politically. You you just can't assume that.
0: No, that's I've learned that.
1: You really you know you really. And I think you know the more information people have, maybe the more likely are they are to to agree with you, but not necessarily. you know, not, as yeah. we now know, you know, there are red facts and blue facts and facts from outer space, and you know people have their, you know, it's something I deal with quite a bit in my in both of my books and movies, which is, you know, the, some of drama comes, a lot of drama comes from from contention. And some of that is just, Uh, we both want the same thing and we can't both have it. Right. Uh, But there's also this kind of contention that's caused because you believe in a totally different world than I do. Hmm. And we can't even talk. Mm -hmm. There's no, because we don't even believe we're, we're, you know, I can't understand why you're even bothering to be in my way here. And you can't understand why I'm bothering to try to push you around.
0: So how are you getting through the Trump era that we're now in and, I mean, you know, you, you
1: know, I, I think it's helped. I, you know, I, I I got to go to college and I didn't take any history classes. And since then from, you know, I've written over a hundred screenplays for other people and for myself and I've written now six novels. I've written one after this actually, that's done. Um, and a lot of them have a historical, you know, part of them. So I've read a lot of history now. And, uh, I'm comforted by two things. Um, one is uh, there's not a golden age that we that I wish I could go back to, mm. and that you know Franklin Roosevelt went through this shit. You know he you know he was excoriated, and if he hadn't had the shock and awe of a the depression and b World War II, you know he would have lasted four years and he would have been out of there. The, right. the opposition to him you know was so dug in, and that he was a communist and all this kind of stuff. Right. Um, And the other thing that's comforting to me is that so far um, Trump hasn't made any friends in the military. Right. And that we haven't really had a real coup since the Civil War. Right. And that it's just not a tradition within our military. Right. And uh, until he has time to replace all the people who who run the military now with people who are willing to sacrifice the country for their own ambition and that takes a while in a, in a bureaucracy like the military mm-hmm. um if the democrats are able to to win this next election and it's close he's not leaving right
0: it's you know, you know
1: he's he's going to contest it and he's he's, he's got no. months to sit there and just say no no the, 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 those results aren't
0: right he'll, he'll say they're rigged yeah look at iowa they were trying to rig it there yeah he'll point to everything and i i am a firm believer of this i geez, uh three years ago i had a broadway show i did um and i said this during the show that he will not leave uh and um um so we're gonna have a problem Mm -hmm. even when we vote him out we're gonna have a problem Mm
1: -hmm. people worried about nixon um, not leaving.
0: Mm, they were. and There and, were contingency uh, plans within the military yeah. because they were afraid of, that Nixon was losing he his mind. He
1: apparently um, made a, a very late night call. He'd been knocking back a few. And uh, I think it was the joint head of the Joint Chiefs of Staff and he said, I wanna bomb Syria. I forget what Syria had done that he wanted. Mm. And um, the guy thought fast and he said, yes, Mr. President, as soon as the the sky's clear, <laughs> knew Nixon wasn't going to go on the Weather Channel, which may not have existed yet. Right, and uh, and he had a meeting first thing the next morning with the other Joint Chiefs, and he said, "Okay, nobody takes a direct order from this guy," you know. And it was in his last two weeks when he was really falling apart. Yeah, um, so there was this, this. They were worried. What are we going to do with this guy if he yeah. just goes off the rail?
0: I have felt from the beginning, and now we learn from this uh, new book that's out that uh, Trump's first meeting with the generals mm-hmm. where he called them much a bunch of losers right babies yeah uh disgusting i mean it's really yeah yeah i these I, are but, these are not
1: guys who are used to being talked to that way. no no <laughs> like but, anybody but i but he
0: was really he started talking trash about them mm-hmm. in the first week and i thought okay this is good because this means the generals you know that that briefcase they always have a soldier with the president who's carrying the briefcase mm-hmm. with the nuclear codes mm-hmm. so they can be launched in within yeah. seconds i have been convinced from the beginning the generals have never put the accurate codes in uh-huh. there's a piece of paper in there yeah and there's numbers on it yeah but it's the pizza pizza or something else yeah, it's, yeah there, you have no, to use a capital b <laughs> yeah, yeah there's Instead no way case, there's they, no way the
1: codes are yeah. in that briefcase <laughs> i'm telling you i hope not yeah. but
0: Okay, so I see, so your comfort comes from these two things. Uh, yeah,
1: but, but that doesn't mean things are good. It's just that, that you know, it, it's, you know, I'm glad I didn't have to live through the Civil War. Mm. It was necessary, mm-hmm. unfortunately. Yeah. You know, um, I hope we don't have to live through another one, but you know, this shit happens, and and just because, you have a nice 12 year period when things kind of go along, you know. I, I, an unfortunate thing um, that, that just happens in general, and you know, we're, we were talking about the, you know, the Iowa caucuses earlier, is that horrendous government makes people accept mediocre to bad government, you know. And so people say, well, this guy's not so bad. <laughs> let's, let's, let's be satisfied with voting for him. You know, or her, in, in, in whatever
0: case. I'm afraid the the uh, collapse and the chaos of Iowa mm-hmm. has put people in, into a headspace now of, okay, we've just got to, we've got to, we got to play it safe here. We got to, you know, we just got to. Yeah. And I'm like, no, really. Now, in moments like this in history, it's not when you play it safe. Yeah. Uh, it's when you really organize with other mm-hmm. people and you stand up. And you fight for the things that you believe in. I mean,
1: that's. Has, has there been a contested, a truly contested convention in our lifetime?
0: In our lifetime, Because uh, I
1: know in 32, yeah. it, you know, when Roosevelt got in, it was a lot of votes. It was like right. the fifth ballot or something yes. like that. And he had to do a lot of, you know, getting in bed with Father Coughlin and all these kind of crazy, you know, right. the Pendergast machine and all these kind of who he dumped within the next four years, but he he needed to make those alliances and make some dirty deals. Um, My
0: guess is is that none of the uh, Democrats who are running, it's very possible that none of them will have over 50% of the vote when they go to the convention. Mm -hmm. Um, And this is why the frayed alliance between uh, Sanders and Warren Mm -hmm. needs to come back together. uh, because, uh, by their, by themselves, they may not be able to get the 50 mm-hmm. plus one yeah. percent, uh, at the convention and the Democrats, the old guard have set this convention up to where there's only going to be one on the first ballot, just one true vote mm-hmm. that represents how the people voted. Mm-hmm. If there was not a 51% uh, on that vote, a candidate with 51% on the second ballot, they go back to the old, uh, huh. Way where the superdelegates, delegates, the, yeah. the party hacks, yeah. uh, come in, they get to vote, yeah. and they will then pick not who the American people want, but who they want. Yeah.
1: Well, we, you know, Americans didn't get to vote for their senators directly until 19, pretty deeply into 19, the 11, 1900s. Yeah. yeah 1911, 1913, something yeah. like that. Yeah. yeah. It, yeah. Was, it was the state assemblies or something like right. that. Right. Yeah.
0: Right. So, are, so what are you going to do this year? Are you doing anything? Are you just saying?
1: Um, I just sent some money to Stacey Abrams. Um, oh, you yeah, know, good. that you know, that's that's the general thing that you can do, which is she's working to
0: make sure people who should be able to vote do get to vote. Get to vote everywhere, yep. you know. She's uh, um, she's leading the parade on that.
1: I I haven't decided on a candidate yet. Um I'm kind of from the the Sanders Warren wing, you know, as far as th- The thing is, you know, there is what the candidates say they want to do and mm. and would try to do. Mm so little of that is what I think they, even with a democratic Congress Mm -hmm. is, is what I think they'll be able to do. Mm -hmm. So you have to kind of mitigate that, you know? So, so do you, but I, I also don't think that, you know, kind of going with somebody who's safe and is just going to kind of sit there and business as usual is going to get you anything you want either. No, I think
0: Trump will crush that person.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And I think if the Democrats get in, I want, um, you know, he didn't call me up, but I could have told Obama he wasn't going to get any cooperation those first four years he was in. Yeah. And this idea of, you
0: know, Kumbaya. the good of the country
1: no. wasn't going to work. But um, but I, I think they have to, you know, if they got enough of a majority, it's time for Puerto Rico to be a state. It's time yeah. for Washington, D.C. to be a state. Why are there two Dakotas? There are two yeah. Dakotas because yeah. the, the Republicans got, you know, an extra pair of senators out of it. Right. It was just Dakota Territory. Right. We've got states that big. Right. You know? It wasn't because Texas didn't want a big state, you know. Uh, so, so, you know, I think they, they do have to do some, some democratic things. You know, Puerto Rico should be a treat, treated at least as well as Alabama the next time there's a hurricane. You,
0: you know? think so? Yeah. They,
1: you know, we, we took them over yeah. and, you know, we, we annexed them uh in you know I think it was 1898 to 1900 it was in my last book uh when we when we you know annexed the Philippines and Guam and because uh, they weren't protected by the you know there was a, a thing um, an amendment uh when the the kind of Hawks were saying we've gotta you know save the poor Cuban people from those evil Dagos from Spain you know and 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 one senator stood up and said, uh, "Okay, put it in writing that you're not doing this just to annex Cuba, you know, as a territory." And they said, "Sure, we'll put it in writing." But nobody knew what Puerto Rico or Philippines or Guam were, so they weren't covered by the,
0: mm-hmm. the thing.
1: And so we just grabbed those things. Right. So the, the the Puerto Ricans have had to put up with us for that long, you know, and and they've gotten to the point where they've just kind of realized, you know, if we're going to get anything more. Out of this relationship, I guess we have to be a state, even if we're
0: you know a poor state. Aren't you sort of itching to want to be making a movie right now with the climate we're in and everything going on? Or yeah, you know, I'm, I'm not in, trying to tell you to you know, yeah yeah you've I, you've done enough yeah I may. you're I, in the I, National Film Registry. I, I'm hoping <laughs> that
1: the next thing I make this three week movie uh, will in some ways be about immigration, um, and uh, I'm into you know I'm always interested in immigration. Uh, most of my relatives didn't get here until about 1900. Um, Where are they from? Germany,
0: Ireland, but not the
1: first wave of Germans and Irish. Yeah. who came?
0: The slacker ones that came later. Yeah, yeah. Kind of, we trying to. Yeah, it, <laughs> we got to get down to the docks one yeah, of these days. <laughs> and
1: you know, both of my grandfathers were cops, and so they, you know, yeah. they must have had you know connections on the police force. To, right, right. <laughs> uh, I think one of the first of them actually got the the starter job, which was piss, picking up the shit on the street which was a city job back when there were only horses and no cars, and you made your way from there to the fire department or the, the police department. Um, but I'm interested in this. I'm interested in assimilation, brother from another planet, baby, it's you. They're mm-hmm. about assimilation. What do you give up when you join this new thing? And, and when you become, you know, in the case of the brother from Banana, another planet, when you become a homo sapiens, you know, a member of this particular tribe, um, but when you become an American, what do you have to give up? Do mm. you give up your language? Do you give up your religion? Do you become, you know, reformed instead of orthodox? And do you get enough back to make that worth it? Mm. To to jettison your culture,
0: right, um, right?
1: And and you know, it's a, it's an interesting question. Um, you know, I know a lot of people, you know, who are who don't speak Spanish anymore, and their their parents and grandparents did. You know, right. and it just, yeah, yeah they didn't want me to.
0: This is very interesting. You're, you know, essentially you're, you're a working class white guy and so many of your films, um, they're not, it, it doesn't have the, it doesn't have the sense of this is the typical liberal white person making the important story, mm-hmm. you know, that we should make. I've never put, nobody knows about. the
1: trouble I've seen on the soundtrack,
0: <laughs> <laughs> but, but. With all the talk of how, you know, Oscar's so white and Mm -hmm. all the nominees, uh, most of the nominees being white people, you consistently from the beginning um, have had African Americans and Latinos Mm -hmm. playing significant roles in your Mm -hmm. film, women playing significant roles. You were, you know, really out there and ahead of all this, not for, not just to be down with the cause, but simply because you wanted to tell these stories. Well, as you said, your last film, is in Spanish. Uh,
1: well, part of it's in Spanish, and and you know it, it, it's the leads are um, uh, a Mexican American, you know, ex cop who's you know suffering from uh, you know macular degeneration, and two African American women who grew up together, you know, doing this kind of crime caper together, you know, right. trying to find the son of one who's in trouble.
0: But do you what I'm saying? You're not. You don't do this to sort of wear it on your sleeve. It's, you know, when I wrote it, I didn't
1: know they were going to be African American. Uh, There were just two actresses I wanted to work with. Um, Right. But a lot of it, it truly is when I got into movies, what interested me, and I really like traditional movies and everything like that as well. You know, love westerns and all that kind of stuff. Um, It is, it was. Well, where are these other people that are in my life that I never see on the screen? So, you know, Caucus Seven is just all white people who went to school together or whatever, but I'd never seen them on the screen. Mm-hmm. You know, brother from another planet, those are people I know, but I'd never seen them on the screen. Mm-hmm. You, know? Uh, you know, what's, you know, how much of our culture is and our language is affected by the Latino community, you know, um, and, and that long, strange dance between mexico and the united states you know um it's just but where were they on the screen i got to work with Rena moreno and uh in in this um uh uh movie casa los babies and she spoke spanish in it. and she said you know this is the this is the first time i've ever spoken spanish you know the for, for the whole part in the movie because she said you know usually it's why did you people take our gold you know and and she's white indians and she was a right. little thai girl and the king and i and whatever yeah, yeah, yeah. um
0: but it
1: was the first time she got to act in spanish mm. um mm. just there weren't any parts
0: you know wow wow you know um uh, something just uh, filtered back into my head here i asked you at the beginning of the podcast about your uh your first uh jobs and um uh, you mentioned that you had written the original Piranha mm-hmm. for Roger Corman, the mm-hmm. king of the B-movies. Yeah. And of course, Piranha is one of the great uh, B-movies mm-hmm. of all time. <clears throat> and then I asked you if you'd driven truck, if you were truck driver, mm-hmm. you said no. And I realized where the two wires got crossed because um, Piranha 2 um, is being filmed. I'll tell you, I know this mm-hmm. story. Um, the sequel to your Piranha. Mm-hmm. Is being filmed down in the Caribbean uh, somewhere. And Roger Corman shows up and just, at the, the, on day one or two, just absolutely hates mm-hmm. what the director is doing. And so you know Roger Corman. Mm-hmm. I've had him at my film festival. Mm-hmm. And uh, he's uh, quite the character and quite a very, very smart mm-hmm. uh, individual. And uh, he just fires the director, just like that, <laughs> it's like mm-hmm. after two days. And, uh, and he's looking around, and uh, he's, he, this is like lanky guy, kid, really what do you do? What do you do here? And the kid, the kid says, uh, I'm like the uh, the assistant to the second AD or I don't know, whatever mm-hmm. it was. You're the director now. Mm-hmm. You know, start directing. And he starts directing the film. And the kid's name is James Cameron. Mm-hmm. And...
1: Yeah, that was, that was actually, it was actually on... James was working. Oh, you know the, the story. Then he was working in the art department on *Battle Beyond the Stars*, which was this space movie that you wrote. And 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 Roger just kind of saw something he was drawing and made him the production designer overnight. And then he gave him the, the *Paranormal*. And then he, get, he was there for the *Paranormal*. And then he fired him off that. And <laughs> and James tried to take his name off of piranha too. Right. No, think, know. You know. Uh, know, but, but he says he he that he they were shooting in Italy, not in the in the Caribbean. And that Same uh, thing. Roger didn't cancel his his um, hotel room,
0: uh-huh. and
1: so he hung out for another week on the production's nickel, and he ate food off other people's um, you know room right. service trays that they would put out, right. and, and he wrote the first draft of of you know the the uh, Terminator movie.
0: Is that right? During yeah. that week, yeah. After he's been fired from Piranha Two,
1: yeah, yeah.
0: Um, that's amazing. Daddy did not know this part of the story. Yeah. I knew that he told me that he grew up in Canada. Yeah, that's yeah. where he was a truck driver, like Moose Jaw or something. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Yes, graduated from high school, was a truck driver. Did all kinds of. He might have even worked in a hospital, but did uh, all kinds of very low end yeah. working class jobs that weren't being. He wasn't being mm-hmm. paid much. Decided he really was interested in film. Went to Southern California. Didn't mm-hmm. go to film school, mm-hmm. um, but started going to the library at USC. And started asking to look at things, and Uh and he just read and read, and then watched old films, and eventually got in the the Roger Corman universe. Yeah, you
1: know the the you know working on those films as as a writer was a great education because um, most of the filmmakers were making their first or second movie. Uh, There wasn't much money, and so what you saw as a writer, because they were always calling you up and say, "Help," you know you know, I've only got $800,000 to make this epic that you've written. Uh, you really got to see the nuts and bolts mm-hmm. um, and there. And, and Roger and a woman named Frances Dole, who was his assistant, that was all you had to deal with. You didn't have to deal with a room full of executives and marketing people and stuff like that. And they knew their horror movies. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, the, the notes that you got them, for them were right to the point. There were very few of them. And there, there would be things like, you know, wait another three minutes before we have another attack. You know, the audience needs a little more time to chill before we eat anybody's feet off, you know. <laughs> For
0: young people who are listening to this, mm-hmm. who are thinking of, that they'd like to make a movie or whatever, what, I mean, what do you, what do you say when young people approach you, they ask you about filmmaking, whatever, um,
1: the, the great thing is you know as I say I didn't go to film school so so my filmmaking and yeah you, know, you know you see my first couple movies and they're they're, they're pretty raw in some ways uh, and you know the human behavior is good but you know often the the, the technical stuff is very very raw
0: um, which in my opinion helped it
1: yeah the the feeling of you yeah. know the, the the tone of the movie um, is now that Video is how you make movies. Um, it used to be hard to rent a film camera. They wouldn't even let you have it. Right, you know no, you couldn't own one. You, you had to kind of sneak it out of there on the weekends. Um, you, so you did that too, so well, my, yeah, my yeah, first you know, film.
0: So you go in there yeah, on Friday.
1: Robert Downey's father was famous for that. He yeah. always rented the camera on Friday and you got right. Sunday for free
0: yeah and no. you had to bring it back monday but you had either till noon or five depending yeah. on the house yeah. that you could so have. you shoot so
1: you shoot sh- something on the block you got four days way. of
0: shooting yeah for friday saturday sunday money yeah. for one day of rent yeah that's and it's shooting Roger on, me.
1: on short ends that's um, right i there got so many people to give me paul, like paul bartell used to talk about um you know, shooting on long long short ends, which right. meant that they, it was stolen film. <laughs> so explain what that reel. means. So that, that a short, a short end, end is, is if, if you you have an eight minute scene, um, reels used to be ten minutes long, and so if you have an eight minute scene, there's two minutes that, well, you can't you can't shoot another take that's eight minutes long. So there's there's two minutes of unexposed Leftover. film on there. Yes. So you cut it off and you put it in a smaller role and you end up having a bunch of these little two minute pieces. And you know, and maybe it's a four minute piece, you know? And and we shout a lot of Baby It's You on short ends from King of Comedy. Mm-hmm. Um, cause the, the guy, you know, Bobby Colesbury, who was our, our production manager had worked on that as well. Right. Uh, and they were real short ends, but you know, that w- there was a lot of improv in that movie and some long improv and, you know, we might end up with a three or four minute short end.
0: In my, in my first film in Roger Me, um, I was editing it down in Washington, DC and I met these, this husband and wife team that produced segments for 60 minutes, mm-hmm. the fine, the fine, Mr. And Mrs. Fine. Um, mm-hmm. and and back then sixty minutes was shot on film. 16 16 millimeter, sixty millimeter. millimeter. And I was shooting my film on sixty millimeter mm-hmm. film. And they said, Hey, you know, we have these short ends, like a minute, two minutes mm-hmm. of footage that's not yeah. exposed yet, Kodak footage. And you can you can have the film and you can mm-hmm. you can do short ends. And so I'd yeah. be I'd be shooting something in Roger Me that was like a minute long. Yeah. Two minutes long because that's all I have because I didn't have the yeah. money to go buy it's, it's tough in film.
1: documentary. You want it to be like an establishing shot. Or something. <laughs> yes, you don't right. want to get into an interview and say, I'm sorry, we have to change right. reels right. know, five times. So,
0: so your, your advice to young yeah, people. Yeah,
1: is, is do it. You know, uh, you know, you can make a movie on your phone now. Now, it's not necessarily going to be a movie that you can release, but do it with, with people you know, aren't very good actors. Shoot a scene,
0: mm-hmm.
1: you know, try different angles. You know, uh, see, you you can get something up on its feet um, for nothing. Yes,
0: now. on your on your phone. On your phone um, now for sound. I always tell uh, these mm-hmm. students or young people: sound is actually more important than picture.
1: Yeah. And 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 the microphone. Remember, the microphone's right next to the lens. Right. You know? So usually, the guy who's feeding the lines yeah. is really loud, and the person <laughs> who's on screen is is not so. What's loudly? your
0: advice for that? If they don't have money for all the equipment or whatever to get good sound. Cause the camera it may be back a ways or, mm-hmm. or whatever. So it, it's uh You
1: know, if you you have somebody who's good at c- confuse, put another phone near the guy um, mm, with its microphone idea. down, and you can dump yeah. the sound over onto the other thing. There you, you go. There, you know, you can figure this stuff out, but basically it's to learn the gig. And if, you know, maybe you make a, a five minute version of a scene that's gonna be in your movie and you got something to show mm-hmm. there, you know, there's people who's, put something on YouTube and they get a contract to make a, a webcast of it and it ends up being a feature. Right, You can do the thing. Now, what's difficult now is getting distribution. That's right. where the bottleneck is. And some of it is just, is just you know, there's 52 weeks in the year. There's only so many screens that will show something that's non holiday. So you're talking
0: about, yeah, theatrical distribution yeah, is difficult, yeah. um, well.
1: Whereas, you know, the web, Mm-hmm. You know, you can give it away if you want to, you know, this is, you know, th- the unfortunate thing about movies as opposed to music is I know a lot of, you know, people who are in bands and they make more they're making the money touring. They, they don't sell records anymore. You know, right. they make the money touring. If they get a little following, they can sell some merchandise and stuff like that. And they, they can make some money back and some of them even make a living at it. Right. Um, it's a lot of traveling, but, you know, and they're driving a bus or driving a van or whatever, yeah. but they can do it. I've done this you a You can't little. do that with a movie.
0: No, but, well, I, you know, I have, I have uh, uh, helped to um, uh, reconstruct some a couple old movie theaters in Michigan, mm-hmm. and I've made them nonprofits, mm-hmm. and, um, and what I've done, uh, and I want to do more of this, is... I've invited filmmakers who don't have distribution to mm-hmm. come to my theater. I have six hundred seats. Mm-hmm. You promote it, we'll promote it, you know, whatever. We'll mm-hmm. see what kind of crowd we get. And and I think the people in the town are used to now. They know I'm not gonna bring, you know, some crappy crap thing that's right, yeah. gonna be, you know, worth coming to. But we've had we've had nights where we've had the, the all six hundred seats full for ten bucks a seat mm-hmm. and the six thousand dollars uh basically um you know we we'll we'll keep 10 20. Mm -hmm. sell popcorn sell, but mostly that i'd rather i give the majority of the money to the filmmaker they walk out of our theater with four to six thousand dollars yeah hey hey mall night mall theaters mostly
1: make their money on the popcorn yeah which is why they don't want cries and whispers every week yeah (laughs) and and
0: that's why my one of my rules of my theater is is that you never to use the ever think about we're gonna make our money off the popcorn. And just to make sure that if, after I'm gone, if anybody mm-hmm. have the permanent, uh, we have permanent concession prices where popcorn at my theater is $2. Ah, uh-huh, good. Uh, yeah. Pop, what we call pop soda, uh-huh. is $2. And uh, you can get candy for as low as a dollar. Uh-huh. Uh, that way, the theater would never survive. Right. Uh, if you That forces us to bring only good movies and, that and people are going to, see. to sell
1: tickets yeah
0: and you're gonna sell we're gonna make our money on the movies mm-hmm. not the popcorn it's mm-hmm. a, I haven't i don't i've always thought it was debasing to us as filmmakers to hear theaters say nah yeah we make our money on the popcorn
1: yeah
0: you should be making them because i, I made a pretty good movie and people want to see it yeah yeah but it, uh
1: it's you know it the good thing i mean the good thing about the technology being, you know, it's democratized filmmaking anyway. a yes, right. Now, the tough thing is, of course, is there a lot more competition. You know, when, when, when I started out, there might be six independent movies. There wasn't Sundance yet when I started. You know, that, mm-hmm. that, that came a, a couple of years later. There might be six movies. And so if there were six independent movie distributors, the heads of the companies would watch anything with sprocket holes. Mm-hmm. You know, and then within ten years it was like stand in line and they'd pop a cassette in and watch ten minutes of it and make their decision. Um, so but you know, for instance, podcast is a wonderfully democratizing thing. Right. There's a lot of really great podcasts out there. Yeah. Some beautifully produced and some just interesting, even though they're they're much more raw and, and not as much production or whatever, but just really interesting stuff
0: and you know your sponsors here or whatever what do you call them anchor Anchor. yeah they're underwriters what they do is because i don't allow ads uh, on this but i will thank the underwriter yeah and in this case in many of our shows it's it's this thing called anchor yeah which is which will literally you go to their site Mm -hmm. um and they will show you how to do a podcast they will they will give you some training Mm -hmm. and then if you want to put it out there yeah. on apple and Spotify, i mean the big it's places. like pod school you know yeah. very
1: quick pod school
0: very quick know, pod and that's school great and I a mean, means of distribution yeah and a means of distribution where you don't have to put up money to have it on apple or spotify uh, and it will rise or fall based on how well of, how good yeah. of a job you're doing
1: because just because you have an interesting story to tell doesn't mean you know how to
0: do all that stuff no 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 that's no, no, yeah. it's very true there are now seven hundred and fifty thousand podcasts worldwide uh-huh. so, <laughs> This
1: is yeah, well, this is this, and this is the other thing, which is um, there's only 52 weeks in the year, there's only so many hours in a day. There's a lot of stuff coming at us, right? You know, there, there's a lot of things that can engage our 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 attention, and so you know, the golden age of movies was a was a was an age when their competition at first was nothing. and then it was radio right you know and then finally tv came in and they had to really kind of share the spotlight for a while and and you know kind of made their peace with tv and some of the same companies got involved and now with 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 the web and young people most of them not really caring how big the screen is that they see something on you know they'll watch something on their phone that I would never watch it on anything but a big movie screen. Right. You know, watching 1917 on your phone is, you know, it's do like, don't do don't that. Don't do that. No. Um, but, you know, uh, but there's a lot of competition
0: Yeah. for, but for, I got to tell you though, you, six hours of people's
1: attention a week.
0: You've given me an idea here uh, that uh, when you said that about how bands and hip hop and whatever, they now make their money touring. Maybe if filmmakers toured with their films, um, you know, it might take six months mm-hmm. to travel crisscross the country or whatever. But my experience again, when I've had filmmakers bring their film to my theater, it's in uh, Traverse City, Michigan, mm-hmm. and they walk out of there with four to six thousand mm-hmm. uh, dollars of the box office.
1: You know, you know that uh, film festivals used to be that. You know, mostly documentaries that yeah. I, you know makers that I knew. I think it was. Might have been Julia Reichert, um, One of her first films, we saw her in in uh, Rotterdam, and uh, and she was on tour with her first or second film, and and we gave her the the festival wrap, which is go through the schedule and see where the free lunches are. <laughs> you know, bring Tupperware. Yeah. <laughs> you yeah, know, yeah. and and look at festivals that at see least where you can f- crash, fly you there and fly you back, yeah. so you don't get stuck anywhere. Right. And do it. F- this is your first one, do it for a year, and then make something else. Mm-hmm. Because if you're if you're still touring in the second year, you're not a filmmaker anymore. You're just still touring with the first movie,
0: yeah. Right, no, yeah, you don't wanna do that for too long. But yeah. I'm just saying, if even if you went to 50 theaters and you got $6,000 from the box office, that's 300,000, am I right, yeah. did yeah. I do the math right? Yeah, if, if you can make a 000. movie
1: for $300,000 and you have that other six months to, yeah. to go around, yeah, you know, now, one of the things, you know, one of my problems is that um, I've got hooked on working with professionals. So my first movie, nobody was in the guild yet, my, neither my crew nor my actors. Mm. By the, the second movie, people started to being in the actors' you know, guild. Mm. And then by my third movie, you know, people were professional. And so if you're paying union wages and, and working on a union schedule, mm. um, it gets more expensive. Yeah. And, and I'm fine with that. I was in, you know, I'm in four guilds now. I'm a former meat packer, you know, all that kind of stuff. And uh, quite honestly, um, the movie business is a nightmare without unions. Mm-hmm. It, it, it can get pretty bad even with them. Yes, very um, dark. So, yeah. so it's something that's a good thing, but it does knock the price up. Yeah. Unless you're making something with a bunch of kids.
0: Yeah, but the guilds all have low budget uh, yeah. contracts that yeah. are fairly decent in terms yeah. of. Because I make my all my films, I make them that way. Yeah, uh, go for sisters. I make a union.
1: We qualified. Um, besides being just under a million dollars, you know they have a thing for if you have, you know, more than fifty percent or some percent, you know, females people of color or old people. It's another category now. And we had like ninety seven percent on that film. You know? And so yeah, we were so qualified for it. But it still cost a million dollars. Yeah. You know, and a million dollars is, you know, as they say, you're pretty soon you're talking about real money. That's Especially right. if it's your right. own. <laughs> yeah. Right. And you right. don't get paid as much as you used to.
0: Right. Right.
1: Like everybody else in America.
0: Um as you mentioned a few minutes ago, um, where do people find time to, with everything that's hitting them, including 750,000 podcasts? Um, and I'm sure there's people listening to this right now that need to get back to uh, helping the kids with the homework, putting them to bed, uh, finishing the dishes, whatever it is mm-hmm. they're they're doing. Uh, but but I would re- be remiss if I did not uh, bring up this uh, final point uh, to you, and that is when I first uh, saw you, I believe it was with Secaucus Seven. Uh, there, um, you had your producer with you, mm-hmm. and um and i went to ann arbor a lot and Mm -hmm. a lot of filmmakers came and i saw something uh with you uh the producer and again this is late 70s Mm -hmm. early 80s and it's something i hadn't seen before at that time and it was a woman Mm -hmm. (laughs) your producer Mm -hmm. was a woman and um uh, i believe her name was maggie
1: Maggie Renzi so, is still... Maggie Renzi. Yeah, we're married now. and uh, We yeah. lived together for about 35 years, and then we finally got married uh,
0: to get her on my health plan. <laughs> That's... <laughs> <laughs> uh, I thought for sure you'd be the last two people that would ever uh, get married. But, but no, but you've, close been, to it. you've been in this relationship for... Well, geez, what would it be now? It'd be longer Uh, than we weren't
1: with longer than we weren't together you know at that point
0: yeah yeah so and i I assume you met each other as you did your acting friends uh, Mm -hmm. there in yeah we actually went to
1: the same college and 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 we didn't know each other at college but we got together shortly after what what was
0: amazing to this and i I Mm -hmm. remember about that night is that that a woman was a producer Mm -hmm. this is something that to this day i mean there are maybe there are more women who are producers Mm -hmm. but still, they what was they what they say last year they were so happy that ten percent of the top uh, films were directed by women. Ten mm-hmm. were happy yeah. about that. Most years, it's four percent are directed yeah. by women, and not that many more are produced uh, mm-hmm. by women. It's it's still so rare mm-hmm. uh, in this uh, business. Mm-hmm. Um, but there you were in nineteen seventy nine in mm-hmm. your first film uh, being uh, produced and co produced uh, mm-hmm. with uh, with Maggie, and and she has done that uh, through mm-hmm. uh, all of the. So first of all, um, how's that worked out? And and second of all, wh- what can we say to the young women who are listening to this? Because they usually hear these male voices when we're talking about making movies. Mm-hmm. And uh, I have been advocating for this for a long time. In fact, my film festival a few years ago, mm-hmm. I, I said, um, we're only gonna show films directed uh, by women mm-hmm. and um and people said well you're not gonna find enough films i said well then we'll have a smaller festival this year yeah because i'm tired of this i'm not gonna do it anymore and i put up mm-hmm. i made the poster for that festival uh, mm-hmm. a few years ago uh it was uh, um 100 it was our theater was 100 years old mm-hmm. and i said 100 100 years of um oh geez i forgot what the, it said across the top but it was do you remember this uh it was a hundred years of um uh, oh cinema man yeah that was it mm-hmm. yeah 100 100 years of cinema man mm-hmm. and it was the directors of the best films of the hundred years mm-hmm. won the, either won the Oscar before mm-hmm. the Oscars it was the highest grossing film yeah and the whole poster is literally faces the faces of 99 men uh-huh. and one woman uh-huh. Catherine Bigelow, uh-huh. <laughs> that was it. Okay. And I have been advocating for this. I was on the board of the Oscars for three years. Mm-hmm. I was advocating for it then, and things have gotten a little bit better, but mm-hmm. not a whole lot better. So here you are with your films produced from mm-hmm. the beginning. Yeah, uh, I, I, you know, for me, for me
1: once again, I think it's, it, it, you know, it's it's the Nike um, uh, saying, just do it. Mm-hmm. Um, you do it on whatever ever level you can. And You're saying this to the young women now who are yeah, listening to this. Yeah, and and it's you know I I always used to say you know uh, the workers don't have to you know only you know um, control the means of production but also of distribution and exhibition and you know you how many how many women are in exhi- in uh, distribution hmm. how many women are the heads of distribution companies yeah you know you don't have to be a filmmaker none, probably, to none. yeah and and how
0: many women own own theater chains yeah i'm gonna guess none
1: you know and and there's no reason why not if you kind of want to go in and you know get in the fight and do it um so it's not just director even though that's an important job right Um, i what i see is that um you know there is this chicken and egg argument which is well you know, uh, female stars get paid less because their movies met, like make less money. I, I just think, um, as I said before, I think it's because the people making the decisions just aren't interested in those people and those stories.
0: They just don't see them. The people making the this Yeah. You pe- sort of people, it's a euphemism for men.
1: Yeah. Yeah. The, the people
0: at the very top. Cause, yes. Because most the men, most of, the men who are making. Quite
1: decisions. honestly, most of the producers, mm-hmm. the, the middle level producers that I deal with, mm-hmm. who are, are story analysts and, you know, yes. kind of working
0: on projects, yes. are women. Yes. In the indie world now. Yes. But,
1: yeah. um, I mean, this is the studios too, but the people who actually run the studios aren't. Mm-hmm. And, they're, and they're finally the people who have the final green, green light. Yeah. You know. Yeah. Um so it's just kind of, you know, if if the system doesn't want you, invent your own system. Yeah. Um and you know, it, it's not easy, <laughs> you know. Um
0: and, but man, and men, the word to men is be supportive of this. Uh, be
1: supportive. If you're interested in the movie, check it out. Um what what you did with that festival is very important. Uh we went up to a festival in I think it was Bend, Oregon. Mm. And uh, Maggie was asked to be on a, a woman in film panel. She mm. says, "Okay, this is the last woman in film panel I'm on." Right. And she said, "Okay, let's take let's take the you know the catalog for this festival, and let's count, you know, and and basically it was uh, maybe twelve percent of the films, mm. including documentaries, where mm. there are more, where women there are more involved, women.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, Were by women. Or just and, oh, and, and you but they listen. had the women in film segment there the yeah. panel yeah. yeah so here's what i did that year mm-hmm. when i when it was just uh films uh by women um i had in the program book uh, a little section uh called um men in film yeah and and we actually and it was, was like a, a joke right yeah, a, yeah. yeah but we actually had a panel yeah of men good describing the hardships yeah. that they have making their movies yeah and yeah. it was yes, it was yes. It's part of my own sense of humor, but but, but you know, I'm also making a point.
1: One of, one of the important things is you know like like a couple of years after I got started, and right about the time you got started, Spike Lee got started. Yes. Now there there had been black directors before, but Spike is a very visible guy, and two important things he did. First of all, he got so visible that a kid who's thinking like, well, black people don't get to make movies. Gets to see Spike Lee and says, Oh shit, that guy Mm. got to make movies. Mm. You know, they may not be the movies I would make if I got to make movies, but he got to make movies. Why not me? Uh, And the other thing that he did that was important, you know, here in New York, because most of his movies were shot here, was that um, he started uh, getting uh, black men and women to work on his crew. And they wouldn't necessarily be the head of the department. They be, might be under somebody who's more experienced. Mm. And some of those people did it for a film or two, and then maybe went to law school. But some of them stuck. And we've got some really, really good professionals here in New York who started with Spike right. because he said, "I'm just going to do this." Right. right. You know. And I and I think you know you know I, the last couple movies I've made, I've I've had a woman as a cinemat- cinematographer. There's a lot of good women cinematogra- cinematographers right, right, out right. there. Okay, so you're you're making a film. Look around. When yeah. I made Brother from Another Planet, I said I'm going to have an African American cinematographer, and there was Ernest Dickerson, yeah. and I got lucky. He's was, he was one of the best cinematographers I ever worked with. Right. You know. Right. But the point was, I was going to have people on Brother from Another. The heads of departments were going to be African
0: Americans. Right. Well, that's really all you have to do. And is you have to just make a a commitment and decision. You know what? I'm going to do it this way. And then that's the way it becomes. I remember, I remember Spike um, challenging Eddie Murphy at one time. You're a huge star. Mm -hmm. Why don't you have more black crew Mm -hmm. on your films? And then, and Eddie said, I I don't, I don't run a studio. I don't have a Mm -hmm. say in this. And Spike said to him, you're Eddie Murphy. Yeah. You can demand anything you want. Mm-hmm. I want a black cinematographer. I want the costume designer. Yeah. These are black characters. I want a woman or a man who's a costume designer yeah. that's gonna be that's gonna be African American. And and when when people start to think like that, when they mm-hmm. start to change, and you're you're right, the the Spike probably did more to integrate crews in this in New York mm-hmm. City than anybody just simply by giving people work. Yeah and having them being able to learn how to do this. Mm -hmm. And now years later,
1: they're the top of the line. I
0: wrote a movie that never
1: got made for for Denzel Washington was gonna direct it. And it was about um, an African American tank battalion who who fought in World War II. And uh, these guys um, basically only existed because Eleanor Roosevelt twisted Franklin's arm and because the NAACP got to her and said, how come we don't have any black combat soldiers? Cause they'd been you know, pulled out of combat um, pretty much right after um, the Philippine American war, Spanish American war. And uh, he said, okay, yeah, yeah, sure. And they, they, they made, and so these guys were stationed in the South where they had all kinds of problems. They were all high school graduates um, and they got very good at tanks and they had the shitty tanks that, you know, nobody wanted to bring overseas to fight the Nazis. But, um, they figured, well, nobody's going to want these guys. Nobody, you know, no, no general's going to want these, these, you know, black guys, tankers, and so they became the people who the tankers who did go over after their six months or, or sometimes four months of training did their war games against. So these guys were doing that for three years, and so they were better than anybody. Mm. Uh, and finally, right after D-Day, uh, Patton ran into the hedgerow country. And they were just getting creamed, and he needed tanks. And he said, "Well, and he was a you know, very racist guy from New Orleans or whatever he was. He said, "I don't care who they are. You know, get them over here. I need tanks,." You know? And these guys rolled, you know off the LSTs and, and they had and all of a sudden they were in these, these '88s, these, these new tanks. It was like a Cadillac, you know, compared to what they'd been driving before. And all the soldiers on the beach said, you know, who are you delivering that to?" And he said, "No, this is my tank." Mm. And at first none of the white, you know, cause the, the ground troops would walk besides these things, the infantry, mm. you know, mm. And, and, mm. and nobody wanted to be anything to do with them until they got into combat and they realized, can we be with those guys? They're <laughs> so good, you know, they were in the battle yeah. of bulge and they were, in, they were in front lines for like, you know, 180 days, you know, and liberated some, some of the camps and stuff like that. And I think that's what you find when you, when you bring people in who've been left out. There's a lot of talent there. you know, Same right. thing in politics. What you're seeing now is a lot more um, women are mayors of cities, because it's such a shitty job.
0: Right. <laughs> you know, people say, oh,
1: what the fuck? You know, let, yeah. let, let, let them take it. And they're good at it, because you know, right. that talent was already there. It's just like, well, we can't run a woman. You know, we'll get killed. Right, right. Until you do, and she wins, and then she turns out to be good at the job. Right. And not everybody's going to be good at the job, and, you know, of course not. But right. but if you're if you're down at 10%, that means there's a lot of percentage of people who aren't even getting a chance, who are going to be really good when they get the chance.
0: Well, thank you for having to fix this problem I mean, in your own way. <laughs> it's, you know, appreciated, I think, by many. But mostly, I think we're appreciative of the great films uh, that you've hey. given us over the years i want you to keep making films i mean, i know yeah know, i'd like to it's it. uh don't stop it, you you look healthy and alive and alert <laughs> and you've just written compass this. mentis yeah. <laughs> right. so um um john sales uh thank you I, I know i've kept you longer than i promised but uh i really appreciate this and uh and uh, i look forward uh to reading this book yellow earth and to seeing your next film thank you for being on rumble Thank you, and uh, thank you all of you who have been listening to this. And uh, don't forget to subscribe, uh, write a review. It's all free. Uh, subscribe for free wherever you're listening to this. Tell your friends about it. Share it with others. A lot of people don't know how to. They're not listening to podcasts yet, it's a, and so give them a chance. Maybe show them how to how to download and, and listen uh, to a podcast. It's pretty easy. We're so grateful and uh, very happy to be talking about these things, uh, especially during the time in which we're living. So. Uh, hang in there, everybody, and uh, we'll we'll talk to you soon. This is Michael Moore.